I am thankful for the opportunity to be with you, to talk about God's Word, to focus on this very important teaching from God's Word regarding fellowship. I hope that what I present over the course of uh, these six lessons will be helpful for you. Uh, I will tell you, it has been extremely helpful for me So, in, in preparing these lessons. If I can just impart a little bit of what I feel like I gained from going through these scriptures, then, uh, then that will be good, I believe. Uh, hopefully, if you can be a part of all six lessons, I think that will really be even more helpful because I'm going to build upon the lessons. Uh, sometimes you may even wonder, well, why is he throwing that verse in here? And maybe at the end, you'll still wonder that. I hope not. I hope that by the time we get to, to Sunday, that you'll see how some of these even earlier passages become even more relevant to the question of uh, fellowship. Looking at this slide, I, as I was going through and thinking about biblical fellowship, and uh, I'm not one who's real keen on coming up with, with slides and backgrounds and that sort of thing, but I, I decided to, to look for something that was trying to capture what I'm hoping to, to convey. And uh, this picture uh, was one that I found on the internet that uh, at least it provoked me to a lot of thought. A couple of things, just thinking about this puzzle, but then the puzzle pieces being people and how they fit together. There's a lot biblical about that. But also within the picture, do you notice that not everybody's connected? And they're faceless figures, which made me stop and ponder, which way are some of them heading? Are they, are they coming closer together, or perhaps they are walking away from the, the group? I just think there's all sorts of challenging uh, ideas within uh, this, uh, this, this graphic here. And as we go on through the course of the week, we're not going to focus on this picture. It'll come up a couple other times. But I want you to be thinking about that idea of, are you becoming more a part of the group and finding how you fit in and, and where you fit in and, and where others fit in and where you can welcome them in? There's this whole concept of, of being a puzzle and uh, being joined together is something we're going to spend some time talking about, Lord willing, this weekend. Uh, I was here was trying to remember what year this was uh, that I was here uh, in the area, uh, taught through a couple of chapters in Leviticus. Um, I don't know if it was five or eight years ago, something like that. Uh, I failed to look back on my notes, um, but I'm glad to be back. And uh, I do want to emphasize that in the course of these lessons, uh, tonight's lesson might be a little bit longer than some of the other ones. But uh, one of the things I really hope to do tomorrow, uh, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and 5 o'clock, right? Uh, I don't plan to talk for an hour each. Um, in fact, what I've tried to do, this doesn't always work out uh, for, with my plans, but what I want to do is have shorter lessons. They won't be five minutes. But have some time after each of those lessons where maybe we can sort of informally talk about some of the things that we've studied, think about ways that they apply, ask me some questions, challenge me. If you don't agree with me, please do that. I'm not the truth. I'm trying to study through this just like uh, I think you all are. So maybe we can use some of those times after classes uh, tomorrow to, to discuss this even more. So thinking about this idea of biblical fellowship, and uh, I think the titles were, uh, were uh, 
talked about before, um, want to begin with biblical fellowship with God. And uh, the reason why I want to begin that way and thinking about what we're going to study over the course of the week is as we think about biblical fellowship with God, and then we're going to talk about biblical fellowship is beautiful. And I'm especially emphasizing there our fellowship with one another, that it ought to be, God has designed it to be a beautiful thing. And uh, I want to drive that point home in the first lesson tomorrow. Uh, but there are boundaries to biblical fellowship, and we need to respect the boundaries that God has given. One of the things we have to be careful of in regard to fellowship is that there are some bad fellows. There are good fellows and there are bad fellows, and we need to be careful about our fellowship. We need to be careful because purity is a very important issue. But likewise, so is patience. When we think about fellowship, uh, I make plenty of mistakes. I say things that I that aren't exactly the way that they ought to be said. And I hope that people are going to be patient with me. I hope that you'll be patient with me this weekend. Uh, I'm not a professional lecturer. I do a lot of ums and uhs. And so you'll have to look past some of those things. We need to be patient with one another. In practically every respect, we'll talk about that. Uh, it's, it's important to do. So let's think about this concept of biblical fellowship with God. And I want to talk about the book of Isaiah and the book of Romans, uh, just chapters 9 through 11. We're not going to study all of Isaiah tonight, uh, although it was pretty difficult for me to narrow down. One of the things I did back in Elmira, I normally, if somebody is going to be preaching a meeting, they will use their home congregation as guinea pigs. Uh, they'll preach those lessons to their home congregation, and then they'll go off and, you know, they'll improve them or whatever, modify them or chuck them or whatever. And uh, I haven't done that, except for with this initial lesson. And after I preached it, I asked the congregation to critique it and to tell me in particular, if you were going to teach a lesson on biblical fellowship with God, what passages would you use? And that's that was really tough. Everybody that responded from uh, the congregation of Elmira gave different answers, and they were all correct answers. They, they were all passages that deal with biblical fellowship with God, because if you think about it, it starts in Genesis 2, to, to think about biblical fellowship, Adam and Eve and, and God, and biblical fellowship ends, you know, Revelation 22, uh, we're talking about walking with God and, and gaining the right to the tree of life, Revelation 22, 14. So it, it covers the whole Bible. That's really the focus of it, and that's why we want to begin here. Uh, a couple of these slides that I'm going to run through, I hope I don't lose you in this. If I do, just like coast and, and come back. If we, if we do, it'll be my fault. Uh, but there may be a need to, to really pay closer attention here, uh, because some of this doesn't may not seem like it's that connected with, with fellowship. When you think about chapters 9 through 11 of the book of Romans, I'm just going to summarize them. Chapter 9 talks about how man does not have the right to question God. It's like what we find in Jeremiah, where the clay doesn't have the right to question the potter. God can do what he wants to do. God can accept who he wants to accept because he's God. And it's the, the lesson that Job had to learn. We don't have a right to question God. If God gives us answers, then we're blessed because of that. But he doesn't have to. God is God. He can, he can accept and reject whoever he wants. Chapter 10, he goes on to say, 
But he doesn't do that just willy-nilly. No, that's not a quote from the scripture. Uh, but he doesn't just do it arbitrarily. God decides why he's gonna, who he's going to have fellowship with, and he gives everybody the opportunity. And so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and the word of God has been preached to the world. And in chapter 11, you have a conclusion that, that is given there that we'll talk about in just a moment. But in chapters 9, 10, and 11, think about, look at this slide here. These are the references, and I very likely have left some of them out. I, I don't know that I have them all. But in, Re, in, in uh, Deathly Revelation, Romans, Romans 9 through 11, you have all of these references to the book of Isaiah. If you want to know the book of Isaiah, what it's about, read Romans 9 through 11, and you've got a pretty good summary. It seems kind of odd that it would come up there, but clearly it is. These are all different references. We're not going to go through and talk about all of them, but I do want to emphasize in uh, Romans 10, uh, if you want to turn there, a couple passages that are probably familiar to you in Romans the 10th chapter. In verses 11 through 16, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher, and how shall they preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What does that have to do with having fellowship with God? I think it has everything to do with it. One, we have to believe in God. We have to come to him. But God has called everybody. There's no distinction in verse 12. Uh, God wants everybody to be saved. He's rich to all who are willing to come to him. And just looking at some of the quotes there, we're not going to read through all of those, but especially the last couple in Romans 10, 15 and uh, in Romans 10, 16, are, are quotes or references from Isaiah 52, verse 7, and Isaiah 53 and verse 1. And I like to point out to people that the significance of Isaiah 52 is that it comes right before 53. Now, that's, that's not a huge revelation if you know very much about math. But most people do know that Isaiah 53 is talking about the suffering of the Lord. And so anytime that you have something that leads up to that, we ought to be thinking about the Lord's sacrifice. So turn back, if you would, to Isaiah, the 52nd chapter. So the idea in Romans 9, 10, and 11, and, and God calling through the gospel for the world to be saved is connected, as we see from this quote, is connected to the Lord's sacrifice. And so in Isaiah, the 52nd chapter, you have here in verse 7, what the quote from Romans 10 and verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good tidings, who proclaim peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, proclaim salvation, who says the Zion, your God reigns, your watchmen shall lift up their voices, with their voices they shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, he's redeemed at Jerusalem. The Lord has made bare his holy arm, and the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. 
And then beginning in Isaiah 52, and I don't know if you've seen this before, perhaps, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, in beginning in Isaiah 52 and verse 13, we'll come back to verses 11 and 12. In verses 13, you have a series of five sets of three verses each. So 52 verses 13 through 15 is one set, and then maybe your Bible even divides it up. 53, 1 through 3, 4 through 6, 7 through 9, and 10 through 12. There's a nice division there of, of thoughts even, and emphasis. not going to go through and try to teach all of that. But it begins with this thought of, behold, uh, verse, uh, verse 13, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. Uh, for what has not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall continue. And then 53.1. Lord, who has believed our report? So there's this question about, this is such a phenomenal thing. So it's unbelievable that God would save the world in this form, that this is God's plan. It, it doesn't seem to make sense. And so the question, you know, who's believed our report? But this is God's beautiful plan. And the conclusion in, from Romans 10, I'm going to try to tie all this back together. And uh, the conclusion to Romans 10, I think one of them at least, is found in Romans 11 and verse 22. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fail severity, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. So God is offering the gospel to the whole world. Many will not accept it. It's just unfortunately, that's the fact in the first century, just like now, many will not accept it. But those who have can receive his goodness. Otherwise, they receive his severity. Those are the two choices. When we think about fellowship with God, if we accept it, we receive his goodness. If we don't, we're going to receive punishment. That'll be the, the consequences of it. And if we walk away from his fellowship, then we also will face the severity of God. And that's a painful thing. We have to think about how serious it is to have fellowship with God. Uh, we, we can't take that lightly. All of our fellowship with each other, with the next five lessons, really, will be meaningless if we don't get this right. Uh, we can have great unity. Think about the Tower of Babel. You know, they were all unified in their, their project, but they weren't unified with God, and so it came to, to nothing. I'm not going to look at Romans 11, but flip over, if you're still in there in Isaiah, to chapter 59. In Isaiah 59, you have this thought given, uh, Isaiah 59, verse 20. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants, descendants says the Lord, from this time and forever. And so this covenant that God is giving is an eternal covenant, and it's going to be passed on from generation to generation. But it begins with this thought of verse 20, that maybe we can even hearken back to our thinking of Isaiah 53. The Redeemer will come to Zion. So it's hard for us, I think, to put, our, put ourselves in the sandals of the prophets sometimes, but it might be helpful here. Imagine if you are Isaiah. 
And you're seeing this image of God, the, the servant, the ideal servant, the perfect servant that's going to come and he's going to suffer for the world. And as that's being revealed to him, he also sees, and this is the message, the Redeemer will come to Zion. And so he is picturing, Isaiah is being given this picture of Jesus, the Redeemer, coming to Zion. Now, I don't picture him walking down a road. I picture him coming from heaven and, and coming to save Zion. He's the Redeemer. He's going to redeem them. He's going to take away their transgressions. Paul is going to quote that almost in Romans, the 11th chapter. Now I want you to look over at that. I think it's, it's important for us to think about this in connection with our fellowship with God and our fellowship with one another. In Romans, the 11th chapter, notice what he says in verse 26. I'm reading from the New King James, but I think it's all going to be very, very similar here, what a translation you have. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written... The deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. That, that's almost a direct quote. You know, you have, at least in the New King James, you have deliverer instead of redeemer. Um, uh, you have instead of transgression, it's ungodliness. But it's almost a direct quote. Except there's one thing that's extremely different. In Isaiah 59, he says the redeemer will come to Zion. When Paul applies it, he says the deliverer will come out of Zion. Isaiah is looking forward to the coming of Christ, and he's going to bring salvation. Paul is looking back, and he is seeing Jesus having died on the cross and, and brought salvation, and now the deliverer is coming out of Zion, offering that to the world. I don't know about for you, but when I see things like that, I'm not exaggerating. I get goosebumps. To me, that's stirring to, to, to understand that our fellowship with God, it's not just our fellowship with God, it's what God is offering to the whole world. Jesus came to redeem not just Zion. That was, that was where the explosion began. But he wants that to go everywhere. And we are the means for that. And, and, and we need to be the ones who are going to bring others to have fellowship with God. Jesus isn't going to Elmira or Monroeville. He leaves out of us. And so, again, we come back to that idea in Romans 10 of, you know, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel, right? Uh, my feet aren't pretty. I'm not going to show you to show them to you. Uh, but it's the sense of those who are willing to carry the gospel. It is a sweet thing. But that's not just for preachers who are fully supported. It's for, for all of us. We need to be wanting to, to take that gospel out. But there are conditions for that. And so flipping back to Isaiah, I said we were going to come back to a couple of those passages. In Isaiah 52, or I'm sorry, let me get a little bit ahead of myself. In Isaiah 51 and 52, you have some phrases. I'm not going to read the whole text. I hope that this will spark your interest more. You'll come back and think more about this. But notice in verse 1, he says, Listen to me, all you who follow after righteousness. In verse 4, Listen to me, my people. In verse 7, Listen to me, you who know righteousness. God is, is calling those who want 
to hear those who want to do right, who want to be right with God, saying, listen, listen, listen. Three times he does that. Actually, six times. <laughs> listen, 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 listen. I think we ought to listen to what he's getting ready to say. And then in verse 9, he says, awake, awake, put on strength. And 51 and verse 17, awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem. And then in 52, awake, awake, put on strength, O Zion. So listen up, wake up. That's 51 and 52. We're leading right into 53 of what Jesus has done for us. I think that's significant. The, the prophet is being told, and everyone who's willing to listen to the prophet is being told, you need to re get ready for this and think about this. The Savior is going to come. He's going to die for our sins in, in a horrible way. He's willing to do that. But what he says is, well, let me back up. We sang that song a moment ago, He's in Our Midst. And we read the text. It comes from Isaiah 12. To me, that's one of the most beautiful psalms in Scripture. Everybody has their own opinions. But Isaiah 12 is a psalm. And to me, it's just it's so powerful to think about that idea of, of drawing water from the springs of salvation. Verse 3. There is a poet, and I won't be able to quote her perfectly, but she talks about how I, I come to the fount of salvation with a cup. If only I'd known what he was offering, I would have brought a bucket. You know, sometimes we come for salvation, but we, we, we don't anticipate enough. We don't hope for enough. God is offering us eternal life. Uh, we, we need to bring a barrel. We, we need to desire that water. Now, we don't know this from Scripture, but we know it from secular history. That on the, uh, at the Feast of Tabernacles in the seventh month, when the Jews would be celebrating, they'd be living in their, their booths, their, their little tents made with, with leaves and so forth, branches, palm branches, so forth. When they'd be living in those, those Jews that came to Jerusalem for that yearly feast, that while they would build those up, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests in particular, they would go down to the Pool of Siloam each day, and they would draw water from that pool, and they would carry that up, back up and pour it out at the altar in front of the temple. And while they were doing that, the Israelites would sing Isaiah 12. They would sing the psalm. They would chant the psalm. Glenda Shells, I mean, she's got that. I, man, I appreciate her, her writing this song. It's stirring. And, and just imagine Israel. Imagine all those faithful Jews looking for the Redeemer, and, and they're singing this song. And verse 6 the Holy One, cry, cry out and shout for joy, for the Holy One of Israel is in our midst. In John 7, in verses 37 through 39, that text of John 7 is the Feast of Tabernacles, the first verse tells us. And this is really cool. It's the Feast of Tabernacles, so they're doing this. Except for they did not do it, at least from what I've read from history, they didn't do it on the last day of the feast. And in John 7, it is the last day of that great feast. And Jesus then, it seems like out of the blue as you're reading this text, he, he cries out, If anybody is thirsty, come to me for drink! In John 7, 37. Now, if you don't know, Isaiah 12 is being sung each day. 
And this water is passing by. I can almost imagine Jesus, each time they're bringing that pail up to the altar, Jesus like, it almost seems like this is exasperation on our Lord's part. Uh, You guys have been passing this water. You've been singing this song. I'm right here. I am living water. Come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me. That's what he's crying out. Come to me. And that's what he wants us to do. We can't just carry our water bucket around and sing songs about the Lord. We've got to come to Jesus. Do you see that idea? I don't know how well I've portrayed that, but it's just sort of an embarrassing thought to imagine on those days of the Feast of Tabernacles, and Jesus is there in the city, John 7, and people are walking right past him, and they're discussing him, they're debating him about him and so forth. You know, he's done miracles, they're trying to decide is it good or bad, they're all through the book of John, and he's right there. I'm here, guys. Please, just the irony of singing, of, of singing. Isaiah twelve five says, "Sing to the Lord." Isaiah twelve six, cry out and shout, for the Holy One of Israel is in your midst. And the Holy One of Israel was literally in their midst. Do you see how that's just sort of a? It, it, it's not funny. But it's like, wow, if only they had known. And so sometimes when we gather together, and many of you carried your Bibles in tonight, and we, we gather together, and, and we're talk, going to talk about fellowship this weekend, and I'm so thankful that you've asked to talk about that topic. Man, let's don't forget the Holy One of Israel is in our midst. And he's the one that we need to come to for living water. He's the one that we need to survive. We've got to bring our buckets to him to be filled. Let's skip through some of those verses. They they talk about singing and and shouting. It's all the way through Isaiah for God's people. But especially this passage is leading up to uh, Isaiah 53. Verse uh, Isaiah 51 and verse 3, the end of that joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Uh, verse 11, um, the middle of that, with everlasting joy on their heads. Oh, and they come to Zion singing with everlasting joy on their heads. Uh, and so you start to see this as we get closer and closer to Isaiah 53. It's, it's shouting and, and being joyful because the Redeemer of Israel. He's coming to Zion. And then we follow that right afterwards in Isaiah 54. And in verse 1, sing, O barren. You've got this picture of a woman who cannot have children. And she's going to have more children than the, than the, the, the woman who is wed, uh, than the married woman. At the end of verse 1, she's going to be so blessed. You go on over and you just keep following it through in Isaiah 56 and verse 7. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in the house of prayer. Even them I will bring. He's talking about the the foreigner or the stranger in verse 6. He's talking about the eunuch in the earlier passages. Let's pause there and think about that for a minute. Do you remember when Philip caught up with a chariot in Acts the 8th chapter with the eunuch? And 
the, he says, you know, do you understand what you're reading? How can I? Unless the man explained to me, great humility there. And so he, he called him up into the chair, invited him up the chair. And the place from which he was reading was Isaiah 53. And the text tells us, and this is important to pay attention to each word. Beginning at this scripture, he preached unto him Jesus. Beginning at this scripture. That implies that he didn't stop there. Because Isaiah 53 is where we read about Jesus. But just think about what that would mean for that eunuch as they read Isaiah 53 and 54 and 55 and 56. When he says then in verse 3, Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Here am I, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what is, pleases me and holds fast to my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. That eunuch had gone to Jerusalem as a devoted follower of the Lord. He was worshiping God. The Deuteronomy 23 meant that he couldn't have full worship. He couldn't have full access to God because he was a eunuch. Deuteronomy 23 prohibited him to come into the temple. And so he goes all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship, although he can't do it fully. And he's on his way back to Ethiopia, and he discovers, as Philip is teaching him this, I can have full fellowship. He's specifically calling out to the eunuchs, you know, in this text. That's me. Imagine that Ethiopian. So when he says he's beginning at that text, I... As a preacher, I, I can't at all picture Philip stopping at the end of 53. You're like, oh no, just wait, just wait. He, he's he's going to get to you there. And when the eunuch reads this, he's like, oh, I can come into the presence of God. Look what he's talking about here. Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name. The eunuch is allowed to have fellowship with God. What he could not have under the old law, Christ is giving him. I don't, we may have become so comfortable with our fellowship with God that we don't picture ourselves in that way. But of course we should, because the foreigner that he's talking about in verse 6 would be us. That would be Gentiles who are coming to the Lord. So this text is speaking to us. We need to appreciate our fellowship with God. Our fellowship with God should cause us to sing out. You know, like that song 105. I just so appreciate that. I just can't say it enough. But it's not just about being happy, about being thankful. There are also conditions for that. And so in Isaiah 52, we skipped verses 11 and 12. After he'd said, listen, 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 listen. Awake, 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 awake. Now he says in Isaiah 52 and verse 11, depart, depart. You get this sense of urgency each time, right? Get out, is the idea. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out with haste, nor by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. So, if you want to go in to be with the Lord, you've got to go out of the world. You've got to depart. You cannot have fellowship with God and fellowship with the world. James calls that adultery. Friendship with the world 
is enmity with God. You adulterers and adulteresses, I'll get that backwards, uh, in James 4. We need to see that we have to depart from that which is unclean if we want to have fellowship with God. And so there's, there's two sides to this coin of Isaiah 53 as he's leading up to this. One is it's cause for great rejoicing. We have to be so thankful that God has made it possible that we can come into fellowship with him, that he will be in our midst. But also we have to get away from the things that have harmed us, that have turned us away, that would turn us away from the Lord. So this idea of Isaiah 12 and verse 6, for the Holy One of Israel is in our midst. Look at how poetically he does that here in Isaiah 52, 12. For you shall not go out with haste, nor by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Isaiah 12, 6, he's in our midst. Isaiah 52, 12, he's in front of you and he's behind you. Man, if we, if you understand how much protection you need spiritually, this verse gives you comfort. Having fellowship with God means that, that he is encamped behind us to protect the rear guard, to, 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 to take care of us from, think about the Israelites as they were traveling through, uh, like in Exodus 17, when the, the Philistines started picking them off. You know, we need some protection in the rear guard. He's leading out in front. He's blazing the trail. God is in our midst. We need to be thankful for that. But we have to realize that he won't be in front of us and behind us and in our midst if we don't leave the world and if we don't come to him with the deepest appreciation to be singing, but not just the singing, they sang through the Feast of Tabernacles, but to be looking for the Lord while we're doing that. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been a Christian long enough. I wasn't raised by Christian parents, but I've been a Christian long enough that sometimes it's tempting to go through a worship service without thinking very much about the Lord. Now, that's shameful to say out loud, but I suspect that I'm not the only one. We come to the songs and we think about the tune, we think about the harmony or the melody, and I don't know what any of those things mean. I just, I just make a joyful noise. But, but a lot of times, especially the more you know about music, the greater temptation it is to be distracted by sitting close to me. Uh, you know, if somebody's singing off key, wow, oh, oh that's not good. We get distracted by these things. Saying a prayer. Well, what if somebody says something the wrong way? You know, it's hard to get that out of our mind. Or, or maybe they're saying the, the, the phrases that we think are, are rote phrases, things that are, are just vain repetitions. And so we're distracted by the prayers. And even our prayers too often are selfish instead of focused on God. And, and the preaching, I'm saying this, but we're getting ready to do it. We talk a lot about ourselves. And, but we've got to start with our relationship with God. So I hope that I haven't done too much damage to Isaiah tonight. I hope that you can appreciate Isaiah 53 and what these surrounding chapters mean. And at least in my mind, Isaiah 12 kind of sums that up. I, I mean, Isaiah 12 is just a passage that I go to all the time in, in my teaching. I just think it teaches so well what we need to be thinking about here. The Holy One of Israel is in our midst. 
So whatever we're going to talk about with fellowship between each other the rest of this weekend is only significant if we have come to the Lord. The Lord has come to us. The Redeemer has come to Zion. The Deliverer has gone out of Zion. God has come to us. Will we come to him? And will we remember him as we talk about these other important issues of fellowship with each other? May the Lord bless you as we go through this uh, weekend. Um, I really want to be helpful in these lessons. And if there's any questions, any disagreements, don't hesitate. Uh, I used to be very thin-skinned, and I'd get my feelings hurt if somebody criticized my sermons. What that means is you stayed awake, and you listened, then you remembered something that I said. That's pretty remarkable, I think. Uh, you won't hurt my feelings if you disagree with me, or you challenge me, or you think, I, don't, I, I see that verse differently. Good. Uh, listen, I, I need to grow, too. So help me as we go through these lessons. But let's think about how to apply them and how to do what the Lord wants us to do as we seek to have fellowship with him and biblical fellowship with one another. May the Lord bless you.